Welcome to Fantastic Blackness Spooky Pride Edition. Fantastic Blackness is a bi-monthly podcast brought to you by me, Tavi Anyanga. And me, Shante Paradigm Smalls. On this show, we explore all things Black and fantastic and talk about the art that moves us, how and why. So please listen and subscribe on your chosen platform and join in on the conversation on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Fantastic Blackness or go to our link tree at Linktree Fantastic Blackness, where you can also find our Substack link. Hi, Shante. Hi, Tom. Is it hilarious that we picked Pride Month to talk about horror? Yeah. <laughs> the horror of corporate pride and the return of the repressed of Black, queer, and trans femmes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I um, I think I, for one, am here for it. Where did all this horror come from? How can horror as a genre, what can horror as a genre do for speculative Blackness? It's a great question. Um, so uh, I'm, really, I'm really interested in what we're going to talk about today. We are, um, so we chatted about this and alighted on the uh, HBO series from 2020, Lovecraft Country, as Mm. a jumping off point. And of course, there are lots of other intersections between blackness, horror, and uh, speculative genres. Um, But this seemed like a good um, point of reference. Um, Lovecraft Country was created by uh, showrunner Misha Green, uh, based on the Matt Ruff novel, and is also produced by Jordan Peele and the uh, ubiquitous J.J. Abrams. It <laughs> builds on the success of the smash, uh, smash success of Get Out from 2017, which was Jordan Peele's directorial debut, and um, a film that arrived right on time to make sense of the monstrous dimensions of race in the uh, Trump years. Did you see Get Out in theaters? I did. And I was completely terrified and horrified and will probably never watch it again or, you know, never say never. Um, And I'm really a huge fan of Peel from the Key and Peel days and um, to his, you know, current iteration or expansion into the um, working out a lot through the genre of, of horror. And I really appreciate his commitment to exploring blackness and the horror of white supremacy through this kind of generic um, approach. I think it really makes a lot of sense. Um, the, uh, the, the move from sort of comedy, comedy or satire to horror is actually not that big of a leap. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work. It is really interesting that you mentioned that, right? Because I think you're totally right that there's something about Key and Peele, maybe about comedy in general, but also Key and Peele in, Key and Peele in particular, that is always just a little bit of a peeling away of the <laughs> yes. surface yes. of the quotidian surface to reveal some of the horror lying underneath um interactions and um in a way although i would never have predicted it the turn from uh comedy to horror 
in uh, in his career has you know like retrospectively it made a lot of sense. And as I mentioned, yes. the timing of it couldn't have been better. Right when we were right. all like, no one right. was in the mood to do anything but like <laughs> scream and carry on, and yes. um, and get out really. You know, I saw it in theaters too. I was shook. And mm. I was also, um, as I think we'll get into it a little bit with Lovecraft Country, putting not just the sort of blatant white supremacy and racist bigotry and anti blackness on uh, display in the way that a certain kind of like liberal. Uh, liberal uh, media uh, might have done in the past, but also to really, again, strip away this veneer of a sensible um, multiculturalism, you know, mm-hmm. acceptance, diversity. Like, I think that was part of what was particularly, um, you know, particularly uh, horrifying and revealing about, mm-hmm. about Get Out. But what was also interesting is that his follow-up, uh, Us, starring a member of the fam, um, <laughs> took it in a surprising direction and really started to think, invited us to think about the kind of horror in the, I guess, Hortense Spillers might call it the intramural, right? You know, sort of mm-hmm. like black intramural mm-hmm. horror, right? Um, yeah. and, um, and, and thinking about the family, um, uh, motherhood, childhood, all these sort of dimensions of blackness and um, blending science fiction, suspense and psychological horror as insights into it, which of course, when we begin to think about it, that's right there in the canon all along. Like what is beloved, if not, you know, (laughs) a kind of horror, horror tale. Right. I mean, or, you know, going back to, although I know there's um, writing now about, about, um, writing that came before this, but even um, um, Du Bois is the comet, right? Which is like speculative psychological horror, um, short, you know, short story. And, um, and uh, Sadia Hartman actually wrote a beautiful piece about it for I think Bomb last year about the comet. And so I think sometimes when we uh, think about horror, a lot of people think about horror. It's, it's interesting how black people get erased from these genres as if we, you know, only are in like autobiography or like slave narratives or I don't know, um, uh, biopics and mm-hmm. that we're actually the uh, horror and science fiction and the speculative are actually, um, you know, very, uh, close to, um, African diasporic people telling and the kind of kind of, um, earthbound, creatures and spirit creatures. So they, these things are not unfamiliar in the business of kind of horror, um, um, blackness and, and black people and our, the stories we you tell, use horror to tell have been erased, although um, they're there, you know, and, and this is a genre of love, um, you know, anything from like really bad movies, uh, like, you know, the franchise, although Sometimes it goes a little <laughs> goes a little far, but um, I was going to ask um, if is horror your genre? <laughs> it is. I really love horror. Um, I love being scared. Like I used to love, uh, you know, like like uh, what do you call those roller coasters when I was younger? I mean, I don't, you know, now I don't know, but um, so I really love horror, and you know, from more sort of you know um, cut them up, you know, chop them up kind of horror to more like 
thoughtful things like train a great Korean zombie movie, Train to Busan, or um, you know that uh, Netflix uh, uh stuff, think house horror, you know, house uh, haunted on Haunted Hill. Um, but I loved a lot of black horror growing up. So like Tales from the Hood, which is a, a takeoff of, of Tales from the Crypt, the kind of um, series, and then um, Vampire in Brooklyn. But we also talked about, you know, Blackula, um, things like that. And of course, you know, space horror, like aliens, um, anything that that terrifies me. I love it. Um, but I'm really interested in the, you know, like other forms of speculative fiction, you know, horror and comedy for that matter, use these kind of mediums to get us to kind of um, relax in a way or to kind of, you know, oh, this is going to be, you know, fun. Or this is going to be entertainment. And then I think smart horror um, like, you know, Peel's um, work or like, you know, Lovecraft Craft, Craft Country um, actually shows us not just the kind of supernatural horror, but the a quotidian horror of things like, um, you know, race, racial violence, um, racial bigotry uh, and white supremacy. Yeah, no, that's, and I want to get into that like distinction or interplay between the quotidian and the, and the, and the supernatural, but you know, it's so interesting to hear you tell that, that kind of tell that story because, you know, for me um, being a little bit squeamish, a little horror goes a long way. I'm still recovering from hereditary. Uh, but <laughs> on the other hand, I do realize when you mention, you know, the full spectrum of um, that is horror and its overlap with science fiction in particular or speculative fiction that there are horror elements in pretty much everything that that I'm sort of interested in. Like, so for interesting, for, mm. for, 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 for instance, I'm was rereading uh, the jewels of Aptor, which is, um, you know, Samuel Delaney's first novel from the, from the early sixties. And there's this whole, you know, I mean, the, many of these Lovecraftian, um, well, I don't think, I guess I've called them Delaneyan monsters, right. You know? mm. But mm-hmm. like the kind of monsters that we encounter in, in Lovecraft country, which we're going to get into in a second. Right. Uh, not only are they there in, you know, his fiction from the very start, but he has this whole um, uh, kind of like moment in that novel where he, like a character actually talks about the uses of horror. And um, oh, yeah, it's, it, he, he, you know, Delaney is this, you know, from the very start of his career, he's, he's both a, both a novelist and a, and a theorist of, of, of SF and, you know, and part of that, you know, that kind of like meta, discourse that he's generating is thinking about like what horror can do in terms of um uh uh, opening out the um ultimately the 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 sort of the sensorium of the of the um of the horrified (laughs) sort of like so what do you talk about like getting off of a roller coaster as a as a as a child which i you know i did as well i think not alone in that, right? But yeah, that sense of like the near-death experience, um, yes. but also the sort of mind mind bending encounter, yeah. and right. uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely something that is um, is intense to go through, but part and parcel very much of the sort of speculative imaginary, um, and um, you know, so I think that if there's a relationship between the um, 
the sort of the horrific and the uh, repressed aspects of history, which I think both Lovecraft Country and another show that I want to kind of talk about at least briefly, which is the Underground Railroad, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If there's a certain way in which, I mean, we know from the current backlash against the 1619 project that like just a mere mention of American history yes. can <laughs> produce hysteria, right? Like what is that? Yes. It's not a kind of, you know, reaction formation against the, you know, not just the horror of the past, but the, um, you know, the, the repercussions of trying to actually tell those stories in the present. Yeah, that's right. So should we talk about Lovecraft Country a little bit? Absolutely. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, so um, I wonder, you know, I, I, I am not a H.P. Lovecraft fan. I only know a little bit. I have never heeded the call of Cthulhu. But <laughs> <laughs> I am aware that... Um, that he is a very important, although apparently in his day ignored uh, uh, or under recognized um, horror uh, novelist, and a you know anyone who watches, I think even the first episode will learn highly problematic white supremacist individual, right? Um, and so he's sort of like a bad object to take as the. Uh, not exactly the narrator, but to take his universe, you know, to take his, um, yeah, to take his, uh, his name and his, um, and his world making as the basis for telling black stories. And yet I think that the gambit of the show is very successful precisely because it does that. It sort of starts with this, anti-black world as it were and then situates these really complex and powerful and you know not at all um generic black characters you know navigating in it right and so watching it i was thinking this is a show that's only possible because black studies exists you know it's almost Mm. like black studies tv you know, even as much yeah. as it focuses on white supremacy and supernatural horror, a la Lovecraft, it it, it always includes so much, uh, like so, uh, so many loving depictions of black social life. You know, thinking of like the blues, the rent party, Juckin. Yeah. It's it's like a kind of constant reminder of how blackness can exceed the conditions of anti-blackness, and it's almost as if the true horror is. Um, you know, it's like the horror in the white supremacist mind that black people can have rich, full, fully human lives without white people in them. Right. You know, like that, that's, yes. you know, so like the idea that, you know, without giving away too many spoilers, right. Like this premise of the green book, right. Which is like a real historical mm-hmm. document, you know, guidebook for black people to travel around the country. Right. Like the real, yes. you know, antagonism there, right. Is that black people would go on vacation, yeah. I mean, yeah, this, I mean, you're saying some good and important things, particularly that, um, you know, I, I think the conversations on anti-Blackness 
in Black studies are sometimes, uh, well, they're fraught for sure for a lot of people. And, um, you know, many times the theorization of anti-Blackness, whether it's sort of like the earlier or the first iterations of it or iterations coming from Lewis Gordon um, to more, you know, to the Afro-pessimism school of anti-Blackness, there's a kind of reactionary um, response that from a lot of Black studies that it's, well, we have Black joy, right? But I think for me, what's interesting about what happens inside of uh, the context of anti-Blackness, you know, I'm, I'm writing about this right now for my second book, which is about the relationship between um, uh, what can performance do um, in relationship to anti-Blackness. So a lot of Afro-pessimists say nothing, but I say, well, actually, <laughs> it's about these breaks, right? And it's about this kind of um, explorations and, and we are alive and living. Um, so what what does performance offer us a, a lot, right? A lot of theorizing, a lot of moments of possibility, um, a lot of alternative universes. And I think horror is uh, is very uh, uh, on for this. So, um, you know, I'm reading the book now of Lovecraft Country. I, and it's, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, it's interesting to think about, uh, you know, the relationship between different genres. So it's a very evocative book. I mean, of course, I've seen the show, so I can see Atticus. I, you know, thinking about that name, right? Like the building on kind of Atticus Finch from, you know, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird and other, you know, that yes. name as being so important, right? Um, but, uh, and I've listened a little bit to the podcast, which I want to continue to do, but, uh, and it's interesting to think about this book being my white man and my kind of, my eyebrow, you know, and <laughs> The, the, the way that it's um, kind of set up in the um, novel is much more like, it is like a television show, um, but the episodes are more contained, whereas the show really has this very entertained, like you said, like you have these terrifying moments of, of um, you know, white supremacy, supernatural horror. And then we have this like very sexy, you know, we have Ruby singing, you know, or we have, um you know, uh, you know, uh, 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 the children, you know, making comics interspersed with the fact that, you know, um, you know, the life of Black Chicago. So I really, I really appreciate um, this idea of it being Black studies, which, which you say. Um, But also I'm really fascinated by some of the recent HBO hit shows, like its Watchmen series, and now Love Craft Country deals so specifically with the return of the press of racial terror and horror in the United States, particularly both shows use the 1921 Tulsa race massacre um, as, a, as a kind of key object or keystone um, for the horrors that Black people in the U.S. experience and continue to experience participation. So I think that that's very interesting because uh, just recently, I, last week maybe, uh, President Joe Biden apologized or you know, uh, you know, I grew up calling the Tulsa race massacre the Tulsa race riot. Oh yeah, and it wasn't a and it wasn't a race riot. It was like, <laughs> I remember it was, that. Yes. it was white people killing you know black Wall Street folks. You know, yeah. and uh, and um, you know now we have the kind of reemergence of Juneteenth 
um, not just either regionally for, you know, Black Texans or for a lot of Black people. You know, I celebrate Juneteenth as a child as well. But now in New York, mm. it's a state holiday. Um, mm. So and some people are upset about that. But I actually think this the the digging up of the graves of the past uh, is, you know, the United States is one of these countries that is really haunted, you know, the Gothic and horror, and it's not just the South, you know, it's like the, the Gothic horror of um, this whole country, whether it's kind of the indigenous uh, uh, people's, um, you know, uh, land and bodies, um, you know, uh, being constantly being discovered somewhere, you know, black people's bodies constantly being discovered. There's the horror is a perfect um, genre for, uh, the United States and a lot of other countries are, you know, Korea, right? I mean, there's no one that's making zombie films at the level that Korean filmmaking is. And part of that has to do with the political, um, imagining the political, imagining the relationship of, uh, you know, the division of the peninsula, right? And so horror is one of these kinds of performance genres that gets at some of those unspeakable, you know, um, conditions that uh, under which we under which we live. That is, yeah, that's so interesting. And um, listening to you just now, I'm thinking also about all the ways in which the very argument against the possibility of performance, right, as a uh, response to anti-blackness those those arguments themselves presume a kind of horrific imaginary right you know like thinking yes. about concepts like social death like yes. social death is like a straight up horror concept horror. <laughs> like, zombie you're a zombie it's a zombie it's a zombie concept you know yes. like natal natal alienation right you know like these are absolutely um terror you know the role of of terror in um the, uh in the scene of subjection you know these are mm-hmm. you know and then, and then even you know kind of kind of you're also kind of pushing me to think about is also the way in which in, you know, we in black studies now think about or are encouraging ourselves to think about like libidinal economies. Right. And, you know, slavery, segregation, these are clearly libidinal economies, but like, so is popular entertainment. Right. And I think that's part Mm. of what is complicated uh, for, contemporary viewers, what's complicated about taking a white author text or using H.P. Lovecraft's name as the jumping off point, you know, for like telling these stories, right, is that they're implicated, right? But like, how could they not be, right? And um, that implication is an opportunity at its best, I think, to revise some of these popular histories so that people are like, oh, wow, yeah, no, that wasn't the Tulsa race riot. That was the Tulsa race massacre, right? It can do that kind of... Yes. It can do that liberal revisionist work, which is necessary, right? That like 1619 Project revisionist history. But it can also touch at, as you're saying, the, the way in which horror is both a... Uh, you know, it's both real and imaginary, right? You know, where like the imaginary is like part of, uh, impinges upon the real, right? Because these, um, you know, if we just look at the, at the, um, you know, if you shift from thinking about someone like Lovecraft, obscure, weird 
science fiction writer and you just go to a mainstream white supremacist like Lothrop Stoddard, right? Those same mm. tropes are there, right? You know, um, yes. or um, 19th century, who wrote Cannibals All? I, I mean, you know, like, the, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, I forget. I think I repressed that name, right? You know, I don't know. <laughs> the, you know, all the, the sort of articulate defenders of white supremacy straight up to, you know, Klansmen of today, right? Um, to Trump and his ilk, right? You know, like deploy these same horrific tropes as if they were real, right? You know, and so I think it's almost like kind of getting into it um, and the way the show does is, um, is, is powerful. And then there's this hyperbolic dimension of it where no it's not just social death it's actually zombies or it's you know yeah. <laughs> corpses you know it's not just uh the the uh the ku klux klan it's this supernatural order of um yes. trying to kind of go back in time right and it sort of takes you on this journey which is which is um i guess i would say false in order to be true right like mm-hmm. the fictive the fictive becomes a vehicle to I'll, you know, to kind of get you to approach something that you otherwise would not, right? Um, and, you know, I include myself in that, right? Like, I'm not even thinking sure. about others, right? You know, because Absolutely. I, you know, I took some time to, like, sit down in front of my television and watch either one of these shows, especially, well, I mean, uh, the other the other one being the Underground Railroad, right? Because it's, it's, it's not entertainment, or at least for me, the Underground Railroad, you know, like, I know there's this debate that I was, you know, you know, when, when, when these, when the shows that are more explicitly key to the historical experience of slavery appear, like the Underground Railroad, right? I always hear this debate as to why would black people want to watch this, right? You know, like, as entertainment, you know, and I feel it on the one hand, but then when, um, when I actually kind of get into it, I I understand that the um, the use of speculation, horror, and science fiction is is actually a way to take hold of this libidinal economy of slavery and do something. Uh, I almost said different, right? You know, but to do something with it, right? To acknowledge that it's real, right? And even if it's being repeated in and through these shows um that very repetition is something that's opening out um an alternative to a um to a present that wants to repress the very fact that this even happened right you know there is a whole um raft of legislation going through the country right now seeking to ban critical race theory you know seeking to ban the 1619 project seeking to replace um, you know, any acknowledgement of um, historical episodes like the Tulsa Rays Massacre, right? You know, and um, and there's a kind of analogy, I think, in some of the storylines, like in the um, in in the um, in uh, in Lovecraft Country, right? Where Atticus is like birthright or whatever, you know, it's a little bit yeah. problematic and patriarchal, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, so insane. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, of course, so then these tropes then become kind of conventional to some degree. Right. But this idea of a repressed past, right. That has yeah. to be kind of recovered as a condition of confronting, you know, what really, you know, um, uh, what really is, um, what is really going on. Right. 
and you know the 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 idea that um, um, it gets you know it gets tricky when you mention Korea, right? Because Korea figures. I mean, he's a Korean war vet. Yeah, that's right. He's a Korean war vet, and also in um, in uh, in Watchmen, the uh, parents are um, uh, Vietnam vets, right? Yep, absolutely. So there's this relationship between as you were talking I was thinking a lot about um you know another area that sometimes is issued from black studies which is psychoanalysis and really thinking about horror as this genre that gets at um you know the kind of lacanian real that gets at this undifferentiated space right where mm-hmm. we're up you know you you can't uh you don't have the kind of um uh uh, same set of of uh, symbols and signifiers that are differentiated in the in the in the symbolic right where you say that goes there and that goes there and that goes there and everything in its place. But the real is a place of horror because you're encountering um, you're encountering what's undifferentiated. You're encountering you know severed limbs. You're encounter you know it's all it's all part of the tapestry. And I mm-hmm. that when when I hear these arguments about um, not watching, you know, there are, there are people like, there's nothing but slave movies. They're like 12 slave movies. Honestly, I mean, I know, they're, out, they're, like, <laughs> they're like, they're like outside, they have an outsized presence, but I, you know, there should be 1200. This is a like hmm. significant part of world history. The world's wealth, you could say many of it, particularly in the West, right. Was built upon this 500 year history. Right. And there are stories, there are quiet stories um, inside of that history that fascinating. So uh, not horror, but I was watching, um, I watched the, the uh, adaptation of Jessica B. Harris's High on the Hog on Netflix. And I wept, I wept, you know, discovering the repressed history of food that Black people um, created you know, and, and so many crops that can't, you know, the yam, right. Only, only came, came from Africa, the watermelon. I had no idea, you know, um, of mm-hmm. course, all the rice, right. Um, before, before tobacco and cotton, it was rice and the wealth was of the South and the North was built on, you know, rice. So the, these are things that are part of the, uh, the antebellum period, the enslavement period. And it's also, this is also part of learning about our religion to, our mother, you know, Africa, and learning about the different uh, countries and the um, histories and the different people and the different, um, all the wealth of experience and, and, um, and actually, you know, material wealth that comes from the continent and the way that the continent has been um, erased from global history. So I think that these I think that this is a way to, you know, this is an exploration, right? This is horror is a way and, you know, other forms of entertainment are a way to get us on the couch. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of us are not interested in that. I understand that, but I am interested in the fantastic, right? I mean, we both are, I'm I'm interested in what our imaginations can, um, can connect, you know, like, you know, the work that, Sylvia, I mean, uh, Sadia Hartman has done, you know, Wayward Lives. And, and so that is, that kind of exploration, I think, is very important to Black people. And, you know, we shouldn't shy away from it, um, particularly because uh, I think about 
what I think about the power that's contained in the stories and the lives of our people, our ancestors who lived through and died in enslavement, you know, um, and those who emancipated themselves, those who emancipated others, um, those who were free at the time of uh, enslavement. And, and there's there's richness there that I think is not just about us being in chains, but about the, about the creativity, about how people theorized uh, through those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, through those generations. That to me is like the legacy of, of Black studies, right? It's not just... Um, as you say, to forget about it and to kind of get, um, be caught up in the whitewashed history and just be very presentist. But it's, it is to always be looking both um, backwards, forwards, and, you know, to our left and to our right. I think that that's very, that kind of 360 view is very, is very African other than kind of like this very linear Western idea of we leave that behind. We don't leave that behind you know, it's, it's, it's right now. No, absolutely. And, you know, um, yeah. So speaking of, um, going back and, um, well, actually speaking to like the need for more slavery, um, uh, narratives, like fictional narratives, um, the, the other show I wanted to talk about, which I know you haven't watched yet, but it's like on your queue, I believe, uh, the Underground Railroad, um, based on Colson Whitehead's novel of the same. Yes, name. it's definitely uh, on my, and yeah. I have read the book. Yeah, it's it's you know what you're saying about uh, everything you're saying really um, captures my own experience of of that particular. Uh, uh, world and um, uh, you know, beginning with, yeah, like that very first episode is so hard to watch and has so little in the way of explicit um, SF dimensions to it that it does almost seem like, Oh, I'm watching roots again. You know? <laughs> like, um, and um but, you know, or, or 12 years a slave, right. You know, like it's so, it is that, you know, and, um, you know, it's Barry Jenkins and, um, but at the same time, there's, you know, there's something very powerful about the, um, you know, taking, you know, what I'm not giving much away when I say it takes the idea of the, um, the underground railroad as a historical, route to you know flight from slavery and reimagines is at an as an actual underground railroad right mm -hmm. so there's this um but that so on the one hand there's the literalization of an historical metaphor right and on the other there's this very dark i mean almost afro-pessimist you know uh consequence to that um insofar as where the underground railroad takes you is like not into some kind of straightforward freedom, but mm. into like a series of ever greater horrors, right. Mm. Um, including eugenics, including genocide, including medical experimentation. And um, it, again, without giving it all away, I think it's really powerful in a different way than Lovecraft country. There's fewer, you know, Cthulhu-esque monsters, but 
there is this, when you point to, you know, the real in the Lacanian sense, right? Uh, this, the horror of the, undif the undifferentiated and that which cannot be um, given a kind of name experiences that are just uh, terrifying, right? Then, um, but also the violence of, um, I would say, am I going to geek out here on the con now? Okay, like the violence <laughs> of the symbolic, right? The violent attempts to reintroduce the order, right? The violent hierarchy mm -hmm. of patriarchy mm -hmm. and whiteness um, at every stage, right? So, yes. you know, like one episode is about like the plantation and cotton, right? Mm -hmm. And then the next one is like ostensibly in freedom, but it's just sort of like quasi-abolitionist village, which is secretly trying to genocide <laughs> black people. Oh right? my you God, know? yes, no, right. No, you know, I know, I'm sorry, to, I, spoiler, alert, amazing. spoiler alert. amazing, I can't wait alert, to watch alert, it. Right? You know, and then the next one is like, you know, this like white supremacist village where it's like no black people at all, free black or whatever, you know, so it's, it, it, so, so the violence of the symbolic then becomes like really key to sort of driving this story forward. Um, and when you talk about like High on the Hog and the role of um, uh, black foodways and uh, folkways, you made me think that one of the things that this protagonist, Cora, carries with her are um, okra seeds. And very um, important. Yeah. You know, like I think okra is also one of the. Uh, yes, one of from the, Africa. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, yes. Braided and, into you know people's hair. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. No. So so there's this again. There's this. There's this. Uh, there's this connection to you know the motherland, but also a kind of connection beyond, like a memory beyond memory, right? Like so, she's mm -hmm. trying to find her mother. Um, she doesn't. She's 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 in pursuit of her mother on the Freedom Trail, um, and and you know what she kind of carries from from this kind of maternal line, although it's, 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 um, there's a kind of bar placed across that knowledge, right. Is, mm. is, is, is this kind of okra seed. So it's, 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 you know, I mean, Whitehead is, a, is someone who has since the beginning of his career, uh, his first novel was the intuition, intuitionist employed yes. speculative fiction. It's funny that he's actually one of the contemporary black authors who gets to play on both sides of the pool, whatever, you know, he's taken seriously yeah. as a, you know, you know, realist novelist but then he also writes zombie fiction like area z yep. right you know area uh, yeah yes um and so i think that's what allows the underground railroad to effectively straddle both of those um you know both those dimensions and um it you know it is hard to i think the day i watched it um um the day after I was talking to someone and it's like, Oh, well, did you enjoy it? I'm like, I don't know if enjoy is the right, <laughs> you, know? That's the word, you know, but like, did I get into it? You know, like it's, um, it, it's definitely, um, different than say, you know, a kind of like prestige, you know, or good for you. Uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't make the case for it as something that you kind of like, well, maybe I would that you have to watch. Right. Mm. <laughs> you know I mean? But that if you do watch it, it will sort of change, the way you kind of think about 
um, at least changed the way I thought about like the uses of of horror and also the possibilities of the um, like the supernatural and um, and here I might even bring in just in passing you know Nnedi Okorafor's concept since you mm. were talking about it a little bit uh, alluding to it you know Nnedi Okorafor's idea of Africa African Jujuism right you know alongside yes. African futurism right you know there's this whole yes. sort of sense of you know root work um, and um, uh, and that gets kind of braided in to a uh, reimagined understanding of what um, horror could could mean, you know, and do, and that's that's exciting. Yeah. Shall we take a break? Yes. Okay, let's take a break and come back, and we'll talk a little bit more since you brought up psychoanalysis about the relationship between horror and uh, trauma. Sounds good. Welcome back, and we're here uh, talking about horror for Spooky Pride. And as someone who admits to being squeamish, I already was on record, I want to talk a little bit about trauma. And mm. I should get the argument um, that racial horror of the kind that we've been talking about can traumatize Black audiences. And maybe even the actors who perform it, because that's also something that increasingly we're talking about, the traumatic effects of reenacting trauma. However, I resist this argument, at least in its most basic form. And I resist it for the same reason that I resist arguments that suggest race play or even just plain Mm. vanilla pornography is per se harmful and dangerous, right? Right. And, yeah. you know, to me, this is a queer position. I don't have to like something personally to refuse to stigmatize it. Yes. And given that walking down the street in 2021 can be traumatic <laughs> for a Black person. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> why begrudge us the fantasy spaces that we do find, where mm. we can at least take the reality of racism and subject it to imaginative reconfiguration? And I'm just curious, what do you think about that argument? Does this, is this, is, is horror per se traumatizing or is it a way of finding a fantasy space to do something with the trauma that we almost by definition confront? Yeah. I mean, this is really important. And I, you know, it's hard to say what's strictly in the category of horror, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting that people say point to um, representations and say, this is, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, trauma porn, right? But yet we live with all kinds of horror and trauma in our everyday lives that we never, um, we, you know, the collectively don't actually, um, uh, we don't actually deal with. So what, how are people dealing with the innumerable murders of Black men and Black boys and black women and black girls, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's just, that's a, that's a horror. That's a, that's an area where we need to pay attention, pay attention to our mental health. Right. And, um, and the, and processing that trauma, right. Or, you know, trauma in our families, epistemic and epigenetic trauma. So I, I find it a little suspect 
when we say, okay, this representation is, you know, a horror or is per se, you know, of course it's going to have effects and impacts and, you know, we have to process it. But, you know, I, I remember reading, um, you know, Michael B. Jordan said that he had to go into therapy after playing Killmonger and Black Panther, but I doubt it was simply playing Killmonger rather than I would speculate there's something about inhabiting this space of when we actually have the, this very difficult conversation with our cousins, with our family. Why did you never come for us? I'm sure this is a question many Black people in the Americas ask, you know, why did no one rescue us from the horror of enslavement and Jim Crow and, 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 and. we look to our family um, in Africa and say, why did you, why did you leave us? Right. So that, that is a, that's an interesting conversation to me rather than, you know, watching them or us or something is going to traumatize me. The trauma is already there. Right. Um, I think in uh, uh, Kenitra Brooks's book on the topic, um, she writes, she's one of the few people writing about blackness and, and she's about black women's um, work in, in horror, um, searching for uh, Sycorax. But I thought is can be a place of, you know, can be very provocative and healing. Um, but we live in a horror film. <laughs> we live in a horror film wrought by colonialism and the afterlife of slavery and anti-blackness and, and manifest in a thousand pernicious and terrifying ways. And so how do we as Black people deal with this? You know, that's maybe a whole other podcast, but I find that this hard as you say, the horror genre and, and, and entertainment and storytelling in general, you know, like I just think about sitting around the camp. Okay. Maybe this is not an experience every black person had, but I did sitting around the campfire. We tell ghost stories. We tell horror stories, right? There's something about that. That's about bringing that into our consciousness, bringing that into the present to say, this is part of what we, um, what we negotiate. Um, so we, as black people, I would say, know this genre, maybe more intimately than anyone else, you know? Um, so I think I mentioned this to you, there's a great African horror film. It's on Netflix. Um, it's called His House. Again, one of my favorite subgenres of horror, the house, the haunted house, the horror um, from 2020. And it's about a couple, I'm forgetting their ethnic tribe, but they're from South Sudan and they seek asylum in, right? So you can imagine the everyday horrors of that, but it's, um, it's terrifying, but it's also a very African story in the sense that it brings like, our diasporic stories into it and this not being able to escape the past, um, you know, um, Jujuism, you know, indigenous religions, contemporary politics, and the very specific stories of Southeast refugees and asylum seekers. And it has Wunmi uh, Musaku, who plays um, Ruby in Lovecraft Country in the television show. She's, you know, she's a gem. So I think that these stories actually are presented in a way in say horror that we wouldn't, many people wouldn't watch if it was a documentary. Uh, and they would say, oh, exploitation, or I don't wanna, I don't wanna watch that. Um, and as you were thinking, I was thinking about someone else who, she doesn't, it's not horror, but I was thinking about the way Michaela Cole t- tells stories, whether it's chewing gum or whether it's I May Destroy You or whether she's in that um, Black, uh, Black Earth Rising, which is about, um, again, which is about uh, Tutsi, and who to, um, uh, I mean, conflict is a, like a, about that, that massacre and the Rwandan um, war. And so this is another one who goes into the horrific, right? And explores rape, 
you know, um, explores massacre, explores without leaving you feeling like it's just a kind of tourist um, to tourism, but it's it's about storytelling, trying to tell the speak the unspeakable, tell the untellable, um, watch the unwatchable, uh, and what does that do? You know, witness. There's a lot of work on you know witnessing, keeping it in our psyche, um, not forgetting. You know, um, in in Buddhist practice, we have in tantric Buddhist practice, we have some practices where we call the names of the forgotten. You know, not just the great, you know, teachers and the great Buddhas and the great Bodhisattvas, but the the unknown, right? The unknown people who may be done terrible things or great things. And you call their names as well. And, and so I think this, that's very African, you know, we don't just say, um, forget those terrible things, repress it, right? Because it returns. So I, I'm with you. I'm of the mind that these are things to explore, maybe with safety and maybe with context and maybe with, you know, parameters, but they're not, um, not to be tossed away, you know? Yeah, no, I, I feel you on all that. And, um, you know, wow, so many thoughts, but yeah, perhaps more than we can get into in a single, uh, episode. I mean, just a couple of, uh, uh, afterthoughts to everything, that you laid out here. One is that whenever I confront the idea that um, a something in popular entertainment is is traumatizing, and you know that we require therapy to deal with it, I'm my, my somewhat flip response is like, well, good because we should all be in therapy, <laughs> you know, yes, or some yes. version of healing, right? You know, like it's not a bad outcome for something to prioritize the, the care of the self and others, right? And the care of the self Absolutely. in the context of helping others, right? And that it is, um, again, the space of, of fantasy um, but also, I think you're calling attention in the face of the space of narrative, the space of ritual, right? And um, these are uh, as much at, they are Africanist practices as much as they are, you know, imposed upon us by some external stars, right? You know, and mm. um, you know, I'm also thinking about uh, I was rereading the Black Atlantic recently. And um, so that conversation that Paul Gilroy and uh, Toni Morrison had around the time that uh, The Beloved came out and thinking about what he was calling the slave sublime and um, what is in Beloved referred to as rememory, right? You know, and this mm-hmm. is, I'm going to butcher the exact, I'm paraphrasing when, you know, Morrison's quote is that like, I really, you know, she says, I developed the idea of rememory to sort of make the desire to forget fruitless, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I'm really interested in what happens when we cannot forget, right? We yes. understand the desire to forget, but I want to make that desire fruitless, right? And that is this idea. It is, a, it is a sublimity, right? You know, because it's, it's un, uh, it is part of the real, right? It's terrifying. There's a horror there, right? And, um, the loss is unfathomable and, uh, cannot be recovered, and yet that impossibility then becomes, you know, that sort of generates this uh, kind of necessity, right, to um, 
to kind of continue to engage in processes that can uh, look in all directions, as you were putting it earlier. Um, you know, and the other thing that I was going to say about maybe the role of uh, narratives like Lovecraft Country and the Underground Railroad that started out as novels. Um, I mean, it's interesting, you know, to think about, you know, Beloved and that adaptation in film was, that was something else we could have talked about today. Yeah. But the, you know, you know, in that interview or in that discussion with Gilroy, you know, Morrison also talks he's very perceptively about like the role that the novel plays in relationship to popular culture and in relationship to black popular culture. Right. And, you know, it's a contrast to sort of like the really important central ray, important and central role that black popular music has played uh, in sort of processing, you know, the trauma of slavery, you know, and reimagining it and that the novel plays a slightly different role because it's, um, it's a narrower role. It's more in relationship to, you know, literacy and the middle class and, you know, um, uh, literary value, things like that. However, at the same time, I think we're now in a moment in which the novel is being regularly turned into popular culture. Right. And in this era of adaptation, I think increasingly we have, um, uh, kindred, in the pipeline, right? You know, um, to be adapted so into, you know, I think we're going <laughs> to yes. be talking about that shortly on, yes. this, on, the, on the program, right? You know, that, yeah. that, that, that there is this, it's not an either or anymore, right? Like the novel, I mean, novelists like Colson Whitehead and uh, Octavia Butler, you know, are, I mean, the time lag is a little different, right? But they are sort of producing narratives that then have the opportunity, that have the, um, you know, that have the chance not just to reach um, the, a popular or mass audience, but to sort of be re- reconfigured and reimagined by contemporary writers, right. Who are kind of redoing these stories and also by contemporary uh, uh, cultural workers of all kinds. Right. I think that the actors, yes. et cetera, right. You know, everyone is doing something. And I think it's really exciting to think about this moment in, um, in, I don't know, black Hollywood or whatever, as sort of centering horror as a means yes. of, grappling with the dilemmas of our own present where it seems like post 2020 every door everywhere is open for a black creative, but like, it's just get out all over again. (laughs) (laughs) We're all getting that invitation to that upstate. um, Yes. Oh yes. (laughs) And we need some horror, you know, (laughs) we need some horror. Agreed. Just to, keep some perspective, right? We need to be chanting those names, right? Um, and um, maybe um, maybe you're giving us some, some ideas as to how to do that. So um, let's maybe take another break. And then when we come back, we'll finish out by talking about what is next on our radar. Okay. Okay, uh, welcome back. Um, this has been a really stimulating conversation, and um, we have some exciting things happening on our podcast in the future. But um, we are here in June, uh, toward the towards the end of um, 
Gemini season. And I'm curious to know what is next on your radar, Shante? Okay, so a lot, but um, I'm rereading the reissue. I'm about to start reading the reissue of Keith Lamont's Long Division, one of my favorite um, novels. And that's a really interesting story, how he got the rights back to his novels and um, and is reissuing them and um, catching up on all my graphic novels, as well as reading um, Afrotopia by Felwin uh, Sar. So I'm on this journey to um, really learn more uh, about expand my um, repertoire of African uh, theorists beyond the, you know, the handful that I have read. Um, and of course I'll be watching scores of television and movies this summer at home and in the theater. So I, speaking of which, the first movie I saw with, I saw with my dad um, over Memorial uh, Day was The Quiet Place too. so horror. Um, so um, I'm looking forward to being in the movie theater with my mask on watching uh, action and comics and horror films this summer. What about you? Oh, wow. Um, I am uh, planning, hoping to be out in uh, open air entertainment. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and, um, but I'm also going to be reading. Um, I'm uh, picking up uh, sci-fi grandmaster Samuel Delaney's latest collection of essays, occasional views from Wesleyan Ooh. University Press. Um, and um, I um, also am looking forward to reading Dear Centurion, which is Aqua Eke Emeze's new memoir. Uh, Emeze is the author of Freshwater, amongst other novels, uh, and has been yeah. recently designated by nonetheless no less an authority than Time Magazine, which I'm always surprised yes. to learn still exists. Uh, oh, Time Magazine still exists. Uh, designated by Time Magazine as one of the storytellers of this generation to watch out for. Um, and, you know, Freshwater was a pretty amazing uh, uh, novel and um, with some uh, uh, biographical elements and in Indiosynthurian is, um, is, is more directly a memoir. So I'm looking forward to that. And um, I will be also watching television and um, going into the theater. Yes, absolutely. There's a, a Bill Gunn retrospective happening right now. It will be over by the time uh, this podcast airs. But um, Bill Gunn is, um, among uh, other credits, the uh, creator of the cult classic horror film Ganja and Hess from mm. 1973, I believe. And uh, another another um, another uh, piece of the uh, history of black horror that we should um, put up in our yes, show notes on yes, Substack, absolutely. so you can absolutely. learn about Bill Gunn. And um, I think that is streaming somewhere, um, but so are some of his other works as well. And um, yeah, it's uh, heading into sabbatical is a beautiful thing. Ah, so jealous. All I right. Gotta, I got to be careful who I tell that to, right? I know, exactly. <laughs> Next year for me. Next year. Yeah, another yeah, year. So, yeah. Exactly. Great. Great. Well, this has been great. Um, and awesome. Always a pleasure. Let me um, thank our producer, Alex Van Gills and uh, Daisha Elliott for social media support. And just to remind you, you can follow Fantastic Blackness on Instagram 
And please join us next time when we interview playwright and TV writer Brandon Jacobs Jenkins. So excited. So excited. (laughs) It's been a long time in the making, but I think it's going to finally happen. So long. So long.